In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. O come, O come, Emmanuel, how we cry out for your justice and for your mercy as well. So as we look at Hanukkah today, the first day of Hanukkah is the first day of our Advent calendar. I want us to just study what Jesus did on one Hanukkah many years ago. Please open your Bibles to John chapter 10, verses 22 to 42. And I'd like to talk about how he presented himself at that Hanukkah. On that national holiday, much like our 4th of July for us, Jesus celebrated it by saying he was the Christ. We must believe that he is the Christ who has come. He claimed to be God. He affirmed that he is the Christ. He repeats that to these people that he is the good shepherd who gives eternal life and that he is the gate to heaven, the only way into heaven. And he assures his sheep that he calls us to believe in him and rest in our eternal life. So as you look at John chapter 11, verse 22, there are two months that have passed since he last spoke about the sheep in verse 21, a two-month time period. He was last in Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles, and that was a terrible, horrible time in September. During this time of that tabernacle feast, the Jews persecuted, literally hounded Jesus wanting to know, are you the Christ? Trying to arrest him four times, trying to stone him. In fact, at one time, you know, they caught that woman caught in adultery. They tried to trap him so that he might say the wrong thing and they could stone him to death or discredit him at least. And he challenged them who he was with, the first stone, without sin, cast the first stone. It was that kind of hostile environment with these Jews that people were saying, well, he's a good man. He's the prophet, but no, the fake news of those days said, <laughs> no, he, he's a deceiver. He's demon-possessed. He's a Samaritan. And so during this time of great conflict, the identity of Christ was questioned. Who is Jesus? And he talks about this good shepherd in chapter 10, and he says several times, I am the good shepherd. I laid down my life for the sheep, and I am the gate. And all who try to come in another way are robbers and thieves. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He's the only gate into that green pasture. And when I read about the good shepherd, 
my mind goes back to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. And I, I believe that Jesus is saying, I am that Lord of Psalm 23. And as we study what's going on in these, these next verses in John 10, 22 and following, you'll see, I think, that pattern, that correlation of the good shepherd. He brings it up again. So let's read, the, let's read these verses. John 10, 22. Then came the feast of dedication, or Hanukkah, at Jerusalem, and it was winter, and Jesus was in the temple area walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I've shown you a great many signs from the miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy. Because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Then Jesus answered, is it not written in your law? I've said you are God's. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, what about the one whom the Father has set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said, I am God's son. Do not believe me unless I do what my Father does. But if I do it, even though you do not believe in me, believe me, believe the miracles that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they tried to seize him, and he escaped their grasp. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to a place where John had been baptizing in the early days, and here he stayed, and many people came to him. They said, though John never performed a miraculous sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in him. May God bless the reading of his holy word. And as I've studied this passage, thinking of Hanukkah and Advent, I see what I call three acts of faith that we must do to respond to who Jesus said about himself. And so, first of all, let's believe in Jesus because his miracles prove that he is the Christ. His miracles prove it. The Jews gathered around. They surrounded him. They had him locked together. How long will you keep us in suspense? They blamed Jesus. You're not telling us what's going on. How can we believe? They, they challenged him, how long will you keep us doubting or keep us in suspense? In other words, they were saying, if you did more, we would actually believe you. <laughs> and Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. Miracles require a response. So Jesus said, I did tell you. When did Jesus tell them? Two months earlier. Do you remember when I started as your interim pastor two months earlier? <laughs> I did tell you. 
It was during the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus said some amazing things about himself, amazing things. He said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, streams of water will flow from within him. Who can say that about himself but only God? If you believe in me, you'll have streams of living water, like the, he promised the Samaritan woman. There will be a fresh flow of life inside of you by placing your faith inside, of, inside him. And he said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows, in me, follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Again, who says those kind of things? I am the light of life. I'm not a life. I'm not an avatar. I'm not a new age a prophet. I am the light of the world. And when you place your faith in me, you will have the light of life. And in John 8, 25, he said to them, they asked, who are you? And he answered, just what I've been claiming all along. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. The, what they call the tetragrammaton, the four holy letters, consonants of the, of the name of God, Yahweh. I am. As Moses heard proclaimed from the burning bush, I am. Now, two months later, we're back in John 10, 22. And they ask him in the light of that menorah, light, a glow, and all the festivities like the 4th of July, they wanted him to prove he was Messiah by doing a miracle. Now, the word miracle here in the text is actually the word works. The King James has translated it correctly. But these works are miracles because God has done them through Jesus. A miracle is, they say, an extraordinary or supernatural event that science can't explain. So one skeptic asked a, a man who was an alcoholic, well, do you believe that Jesus turned water into wine? And this alcoholic who no longer drinks says, well, no, actually he changed, he changed water into furniture. Well, how did you do that? Well, he saved me. He satisfied this deep thirst I have, and so the money that I used to spend on drink, I'm now buying furniture for my house. Yes, he turned water into furniture. That's a miracle. That's supernatural. That's not in your notes, by the way. I just came here. So Jesus is the one who does these miraculous works that how can you disagree with what you're seeing? Why in chapter, I think it's chapter 8, 9, he he caused a blind man to see again, and the people were amazed, and he did it on the Sabbath of all days. And there this man is in his 40s saying, I don't know who he is, but he spoke, and I know I see. And then that man later was found by Jesus, and he placed his faith in Jesus as his Messiah. He believed in the miracle that had been done to him. We must respond in faith to the miracles of Jesus by placing our faith in him as the Christ. But Jesus says to these people who are viciously trying to kill him, you do not believe. There must come a point in your life where you say, yes, Lord, I believe what your word says. I believe that you did the miracles. But they were into blame shifting. And that's the worst kind of blindness. It's 
not my problem. It's not my fault. It's, it's their fault. It's, Jesus didn't do it right. He didn't send us, why, why didn't you just send us a videotape where we could watch the life of Jesus? And then we'd really believe that's blame shifting. And that started in the Garden of Eden, right? With Adam and Eve, you know, they blamed God and, and uh, that didn't work too well. He said to them, if you were blind, you would be guilty of sin, not, not be guilty of sin, but now that you are, so you can see your guilt remains. That's John 9, 41. The profoundness, profoundest blindness we have is to blame others instead of saying, I need to listen to myself and make up my own mind. For example, maybe you're speeding down Highway 26 at 80 miles an hour. The speed limit's what? I don't remember. Oh, it's my wife. It's, it's 55. But say you're going down this road at 80 miles an hour and a cop pulls you over and he says, sir, you're speeding. Why? I didn't see any signs. Well, back there it said a sign 55 miles an hour. Well, then why isn't there a sign right here where I can read it now? And one, another 100 yards down the road so I can read it. And so would you imagine the policeman says, oh, you're right. We should have signs posted every 100 yards, say speed limit 55 miles an hour. We'll get right on it. You think that really would happen? No, that guy's ticketed fast. But he's blame-shifting, isn't he? I mean, we don't have enough signs. The Gospel of John is written as the last gospel in the New Testament because John looked at all the other gospels, and here's some information that needs to also be included in the life of Christ. And this episode we're talking about right now is only in the Gospel of John. And John ties together miracle from turning water into wine, to feeding the 5,000, to walking on water, and so forth. He ties them together like pearls so that you see they're strung together. And so John strings together what he just said about the good shepherd and two months later about now the sheep because it's all about the miracles that we must place our faith in. God is really a God of wonders and miracles. The fault is not in the signs. The fault is in me. They're there. And as Jesus said in John 10, 26, but you did not believe because you are not my sheep. And there's the rub. You didn't enter through the gate. You thought that there was another way into heaven. But I have come that you might have life. I'm not a thief. Religion is a thief. Why couldn't these intelligent Jewish believers believe? Why didn't they go through the gate? Some did later on. Well, I think it's because they were afraid. They loved the status quo more than the future, which may not be too certain. At the Jewish Sanhedrin, after Lazarus was risen from the dead by Jesus, the Sanhedrin met together, they hunkered down, they huddled together, saying, what are we going to do? Here's this guy, Lazarus, that was dead for four days. He raised him from the dead. Now he says Jesus did it. And the whole world's going after them. We've got to do something. And they said in John eleven forty eight. 48, Here's this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation, and we can't control these people anymore, and we'll lose our country, and the Romans will take it. Well, they have all kinds of experience of being oppressed by nations, right? But it was fear that blinded them. Fear that if I, if I place my faith in Jesus... My life is over. No, your life has just begun. But to be blinded by fear of losing your place, your power, your nation, 
It's all about and only about Jesus. And I'm praying right now, Lord, please open the eyes of all those who don't know Jesus. Remove that fear that they could actually see who you really are. God of wonders and miracles and signs, and they would place their faith in your Son as Savior and be saved. I read also that Satan is the one who works fear to blind people. And it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. This is how we should pray for our friends and family who don't know Jesus as Savior. Lord, open the door so that I can come into their life and love them and open their hearts to the gospel that they'll want to know the reason for the hope that they see in my life. And then, Lord, open my mouth to share the gospel. Open doors, open hearts, and open mouths. Pray that for people that you know that you love. In fact, you could just write down kind of, I wouldn't say a hit list, but a list to pray for people that you love. Maybe some of you have done that already. And say, Lord, open doors so that I can come into their lives and really love them and open their hearts to receive the gospel and open my mouth to put the gospel seed there. I'll plant some will water, but you'll give the increase. That's evangelism. Plant, water, trust God to give the increase. But Lord, open their hearts. These men who were standing point blank with Jesus, who surrounded the very Son of God, could not get it. How much more evidence did they need? Well, it's the Holy Spirit needs to come into a person's life. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2.14, that the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And if a person doesn't have the Spirit of God living inside of them, all this is nonsense. Christmas is just another holiday. Christ came 2,000 years ago. He's coming back. I don't see it. If the Spirit of God lives inside of you, if you are the sheep and he is the shepherd, his Spirit inhabits you and teaches you and guides you. As I said, did you notice that John comes back to the sheep right in the middle of this discussion about miracles? It's again, he wants to prove the point that the miracles are what we need to look at. As it says in John 10, 20 and 20, uh, 31, Jesus did many other miraculous signs. Oh, I'm ahead of myself here. Where did I go? Jesus had many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples. He's concluding his book, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's why he wrote this book. And I, when I talk to friends who are interested in the gospel or who God is, I say, here's what I'd like you to do. Take the gospel of John, any version, and get along with yourself and just read the Gospel of John by yourself, and keep three sheets of paper. On the top sheet of paper, it says, who does Jesus say he is? And every time he says something about himself, write it down. And then another sheet of paper says, why did Jesus say he came? And as you read the Gospel of John, every time Jesus says, I came for, write that down. And the third sheet of paper, when you read the Gospel of John, 
Answer this question, what does Jesus want me to do about him? And every time you hear him have a call of salvation, write it down. When I was a young pastor in Ohio, California, there was a man who lived right across the street from the church. He was a pilot for Alaska Airlines, I think, or American. Anyway, he was going a lot. So he came in and says, I want to know, how do I become saved? And I said, Jim, I'd like you to do this. And I repeated this. And I left it there. A year later, he comes back into my office. He's a different man. I said, what's going on, Jim? I've been praying for you all this year. Well, I did what you said. And I placed my faith as Jesus and my Savior and Messiah. First-hand exposure to the Bible. No commentaries. Just read it for yourself. How can he say such things? How could he have done such things? Because he is God. So the question is this morning, are you his sheep? Has he called you by name? Do you hear his voice? You can't hear his voice unless you say, I want to be one of your sheep. And he will save you and make you his own. You'll be born into his family. Hearing the shepherd's voices, when God puts that spirit in your heart and he guides you and teaches you in all truth. Now, I'm not talking about an audible voice or someone who has schizophrenia hears a voice. No, the Holy Spirit nudges us. We've been talking about this for the past two months, how he guides us and teaches us with the counsel of his eye. As I said, as we look back at John 10, I see three acts of faith we must do in response to who Jesus said he is. First of all, believe in Jesus because his miracles prove he is the Christ. What other founder of religion has done kind of miracles like this? Even claimed to have. Remarkable. The second thing we need to do in response act of faith is rest in Jesus, the good shepherd, because his power keeps you safe forever. It's a rest. Come unto me, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's a call to salvation. No longer working religiously to make sure you're saved. These things are written that you may know that you have eternal life, the Bible says in 1 John 5, 12. You listen to his voice. As Jesus said in verse 27, my sheep listen to my voice and they follow me. Now, as you look at your message notes, I hope you take these home and study them because I, I sense that there are people out there on online streaming and in this room that may not be sure that they'll be saved forever, that they could do something to lose their salvation. What I'm about to share with you is what I call the central text of eternal security. These are Jesus' words, and he's talking about being born again. Not about growing in your faith, but about coming to faith in Christ as Savior. And when you place your faith in Christ, you can never, ever leave your salvation because Jesus said so and made it so. How do we hear and follow Jesus, our shepherd? First of all, count on Jesus' promise of eternal security, verse 28. I give them eternal life. Not conditional life, eternal life. And they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. What a, what a wonderful promise from the lips of the Savior who has the power to give that gift to us. Not conditional, it's eternal. It's, it's, it's until the age, literally. It's, it's it, it, until never die. And, and Jesus stretches the Greek language 
as much as he can and saying never, it's a what they call a double negative. Not never perish. To underscore, this is humanly impossible. They shall never ever, murdered perish is the same word that's used when those who are not in the sheepfold perish. Not ever. And so I think of the good shepherd. The last verse of Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I think I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here is the assurance that Jesus gives us the good shepherd, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever because Jesus has gone to prepare a place for me, and I have saved you. And no one can snatch them out of my hand. The good shepherd is holding on to you. And he doesn't have arthritis. He's got a good grip. <laughs> this is one of the most precious truths in the Christian faith, that our continuance in salvation is not dependent on me or if I sin again, but on who Jesus is in his strong hand. No one, not the devil, not some philosophy, may ask you, is your hand stronger than Jesus' hand? If he's holding on to you, are you going to be able to pull your hand out of his hand? Never. No one can snatch them out of my hand, his firm grip. No one is able to do that, not even myself. And Jesus assures his sheep, he promises us eternal life, a life that knows no end and never perish. Now, the thing that bothers me is I see people who place their faith in Jesus who served in the body of Christ or even were pastors and they deny the faith, they walk away or they do some sin or whatever and they say, it's not true. Are they really born again? And, you know, we get in that whole discussion. Well, this is the case. If they're really born again, guess what's going to happen next in that child's life? The father's going to discipline them, right? He's not going to cast you aside out of the house. He's going to discipline you. He's going to bring things into your life to teach you that you are his child and you need to rely upon him. He doesn't cast you out, into heaven, out of heaven. He holds on to you and those he loves, he disciplines. As we do communion and we read in 1 Corinthians 11 that if you take of the Lord's uh, elements here in an unworthy manner and you don't recognize that the body, you're just playing church. For this reason, many people are weak. God is disciplining them. Not just, your week doesn't mean you're disciplined all the time, but God will not let you go. And some are, are even close to death, and some even die. When we get to heaven, we'll see these people, and they'll realize God never let go. He's a, he's a father who never lets go. And even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. No matter how dark it gets, no matter if the menorah lights aren't lit, you are with me. And you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Those things that make us want to just give up the Christian life, he's still with us. And how do we hear of the shepherd and follow Jesus? Here's the second thing I see. Realize that you are the Father's gift to the Son. Merry Christmas. The Father gave you to Jesus. 
you are a gift placed in his hands, and he's not going to throw the gift away after four days of playing with it, right? Like a kid. The fa- you are his gift to Jesus. See, when you get saved, it's not about what I do and how I can hold on. It's all about what Jesus did, faith alone, in Christ alone, because the Bible alone says it. And we have crowded and crusted over our faith with so many religious traditions and so many ideas of guilt that will keep us from God. I'm thinking, hold it. He's the God of miracles. The supernatural has happened in you. He has come to live inside of you. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Realize that Jesus said in verse 29, my father who has given them to me, no one can snatch them out of my father's hand. You know, it's like that Allstate commercial, you're in good hands. Stronger than that. He's insured, assured your eternal destiny in heaven because I and the father are one. Hold it. What'd you just say? Jesus, you just said, I and the father are one. What are you talking about? We're having... Well, uh, dinner with some good friends who weren't believers. We're finishing a wonderful Chinese meal, and the dear lady who grew up in the church says, you know, Jesus never said he was God. I'm thinking, well, somebody got it. Uh, that means plainly, I am God. And these men were about to kill him because he claimed to be God, Right? No one can snatch them out of my Father's hands. As I said, there's three acts of faith that we must do to respond to what Jesus said about himself. Believe that Jesus is the Christ because of his miracles. Two, he's the good shepherd because he keeps you safe forever. And the third act of faith is keep to know and keep on knowing that Jesus is God, verses 31 to 39. And say, these Jews heard Jesus say, I am God, when he said, I am the Father in one. They picked up stones to stone him. He answered, I've shown you many great and mighty miracles from the Father. Which do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy because a mere man claims to be God. And to speak the name of Yahweh, that tetragrammaton, which is so sacred name, was worthy as blasphemy saying God. And, And by Jesus' actions, he said, I am the light of the world. I am Emmanuel. I am God with you. I and the Father are one. There's no differentiation. His works are only worthy of two responses, either stoning the death or place your faith in him forever. No place in between. Oh, he's a good man or he's a prophet. No, he is God. He is Yahweh. He is the Lord. And that's why Romans 10 says that this is what we must say if you believe that Jesus is the Lord. Confess that. Now, these next verses are rather lengthy. I want to go through them quickly here. That Jesus now uses a rabbinical method of debate that these guys whose rabbis could understand what he's talking about. He uses a method, and first of all, he quotes the highest authority there is. That's the Bible. Verse 34, is it not written in your law, I said you are God's? And Psalm 82 Verse 1, there's a verse where it says that, indeed, you are God's, and he's talking about judges giving right judgment because God is sending out judges to make right judgments. And here Jesus now takes that, that word Elohim, and he says, well, 
God has sent me, and I'm higher than any judge. So what does the Bible say? But did you notice this second part of rabbinical logic? He confirms the inerrancy of Scripture. The Scriptures cannot be broken. You just can't pull a cherry verse out of the passage and think about that. Look at the whole text. So he's saying, if he called them gods to whom the world, uh, word of God came and the Scriptures cannot be broken. Let's follow the reasoning here. Don't skip over verse because you don't understand it. Keep thinking about it. It's there for a reason. There are no throwaway verses. And put it in context. And then, thirdly, he supports his claim by showing, uh, since the, the Bible is inerrant, he called these God-appointed judges gods. The Jews could not logically accuse him of blasphemy because the Father sent Jesus, his Son, on a mission like in Psalm 82, God sent judges on a mission to bring justice. Verse 36, And what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world on that first advent? What about that? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said I am God's son. I am indeed that son. And so now we see that what I call, Jesus calls for the order. In cells, you know, you present the product. So about all the good reasons they should have it. And he says, so you want to sign up now for this and buy this product? He calls for the order. Believe my miracles that the Father has done through me because I and the Father are one. I represent the Father fully. Verse 37. Do not believe me unless I do what my Father does. But if I do it, even though you do not understand me, Believe the miracles that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Did you hear Jesus' words? Know and understand. It's the same Greek word to know, but different tenses. To know, the first tense is like at a very specific moment in time, completed action, it's like putting a pencil point on a piece of paper. Boom, there it is. I want you to know this. There comes a moment where you have to say, I believe you are my Savior. I know that you are the good shepherd. I know that you are God, and I place my faith in you. Henceforth, I go forward. And the second tense of the word for know is keep on learning. So you take the pencil, and you draw a line from that point there and forward, and you keep on growing and learning, growing the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, 2 Peter 3.18. And Jesus says, listen, Jewish religious leaders, you may be afraid of losing your power, your control, your nation, but here I stand right now calling you to make a decision about who I am. I am the Christ. Here's the miracles that I've been doing. I'm going to show you another one. I'll raise less from the dead. Do something about it. Don't say, oh, how interesting. No, it's profoundly challenging and life-changing. He has come to seek and save. That's what's lost. And good people don't need a doctor, but I'm sick and I need a doctor. Save me. Know and understand. Keep on knowing. You have faith in the miracles? I keep learning about me, and as Jesus said in John 16, when he introduced the Holy Spirit and what his ministry is, he's going to come and he's going to teach you and guide you into all truth. 
And as you open God's Word and you read it, you think, well, I never saw that in the Bible before. It's always been there. What happened? Holy Spirit shines the light on us. Oh, now I get it. Oh, okay. Wow. Like what we just read about, eternal security. These are Jesus' own words about what it means to be born again. That's square one about being saved. And you keep on believing. Why, why, why did these guys not get it? I just can't understand it. If I had been there, I would have. Well, maybe not. <laughs> Their hearts, as I said, were hardened. They were hardened by fear and the desire to stay in control of their lives and be in charge of the nation. Well, let's keep on reading. And they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. And he went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. And here he stayed, and many people came to him. They said, though John never performed a miraculous signs, all that Jesus said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in him, having never seen a miraculous sign. Call for the order. This moment, wherever you're sitting watching online, in this room, if you've never had that point where you placed your faith in Jesus alone as your Savior, today is the day of salvation. Do not keep on hardening your hearts. Read the Gospel of John with those three questions. And let me know when you place your faith in Jesus because you can't just read this Gospel and say, hmm, there comes to a point where you have to follow him as, your, as his sheep and as a good shepherd. Believe that John the Baptist said about this man, Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, who takes away the guilt of your sin. What did John say about him? John 33, 36 says this, For the one whom God sent speaks the words of God. To him, God gives the Spirit without limit. And the Father loves the Son and has placed everything in His hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. When you're saved, what are you saved from? You're saved from God's wrath. We deserve the punishment for the guilt of our sins, don't we? But Karen... I'm looking forward to meeting your mom someday. I'm sniffing heaven right now. That place, loved ones there, all they did and said for the Lord and the same. <laughs> someday. We used to have a dachshund, short, small, long-haired dachshund, and he stayed downstairs. We kept our bedroom doors closed. And in the morning, he'd wake up. He'd run up the stairs. We could hear him run him to our bed. And he'd stick his nose by the, under the door and go, <laughs> he's sniffing us. That's what we're doing right now, folks. Heaven is real. Jesus is real. Hell is real. Place your faith in Jesus now. You know, Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack anything. He will lead you in green paths and beside the quiet waters. He will cause your cup to overflow he will feed you in the presence of your enemies. 
through the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil for his rod and their staff, they comfort you. Jesus is the good shepherd. Place your faith in him and you shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Right now, will you bow your heads with me and ask the Lord to save you? Father, today, you know our hearts. You know those who are not sure of the eternal security. I pray that you would seal that in their lives and remove that doubt from them hearts and give them that great joy and security of knowing that you are a wonderful Savior. Father, remove the fear that blinds hearts, the desire to stay in control that hardens hearts, and open hearts now as you did Lydia and Philippi, that they would ask your Son, His Spirit, to come into their lives now and save them forever. And if you're here this morning and watching online, you can talk to God right where you are, and He will hear you. And you can say, this is me. And He says, I know. I made you. And you know, I need to know that I'm saved. He says, I can, I can assure you of that. But as many as received him, to those who believed in his name, to those he gave the right to be called the children of God. Oh, Father, call your children now into the sheepfold through the gate that they might go in and out and find pasture and be at rest. May this be the day of salvation for many who read this gospel and hear what Jesus says about himself as they respond in faith in Jesus' name. Amen.